Um, firstly, just thank you uh, for those who prayed for me last weekend. I was away speaking at a conference in sunny Torquay and uh, had a really lovely time. It was a real blessing. What have I done wrong? Come on. <laughs> was there a wire annoying you? <laughs> it was just pretty out of line, was it? Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to concentrate. Um, yeah, you had a really lovely time away, so thanks for those prayers. Um, yeah, God really spoke and moved, so that was encouraging. Um, and obviously want to bring that back and be an encouragement here as well today. Um, so let's just pray as we come before God and to hear from him, to seek his, his word. Lord, we just ask that as we look into your word, as we start this series in the book of Acts, Lord, that you would reveal yourself afresh to us, that we would know you and know your heart, Lord, and all you have for us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Amen. Amen. So as I just alluded to, we are starting our new series in the book of Acts today. I think we've got 12 sessions spread over the next few months. Um, and obviously it's important, therefore, for me to give a bit of an introduction to the book of Acts. Some of you might be very familiar with it. Some of you might have never heard of it before. Really, though, the book of Acts is like the sequel because it's written by Luke, who wrote his gospel, and therefore this is like Luke part two, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, the book itself is about the apostles, the disciples, and when we use the word the apostles, we're referring primarily to the 12 disciples that Jesus um, kind of elected, but ultimately it also talks about the Acts of the church, and so the word Acts is kind of talking about works, it's a, talking about deeds, the things they did, the way they lived, um, and was there. And I was really praying about, God, why did you give us this book? Why was it important? Why did we not just, you know, finish with Jesus, he went up into heaven, brilliant, and then we got a bit of teaching. Um, and this is kind of almost the transition document. This is a transition to show us the application of all that Jesus did. Because when, God, when Jesus came, it was about doing something new. It was about change. And so what he wanted to show, what that change looked like. And so for us today, as we look through the book of Acts and as we look at the New Testament, it's really to see what the difference Jesus made into their lives and into ours. And so Luke starts with a bit of a recap. Um, as you know, if, if you're used to like box sets or anything like that, when you watch one episode and you go on to the next episode, it goes previously on, and this is like previously on Luke. Um, second episode, in case you missed it, in case you've got a bad memory, just to remind you what happened before, let's set the context, let's set the scene. And in some respects, this whole chapter that I've got today, chapter one, is kind of a transition chapter. It's a bit of a weird chapter, really. It's kind of a when I was given it, I was like, what? Um, <laughs> kind of, there are other chapters you think, yeah, that's a good chapter. I can preach on that one. But this was a bit different. But it is a bit of a recap. Um, and so if you didn't know, he, said, he says in the first book, this is the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, <laughs> should have practiced it. Forgot, I know it. I just can't say it. <laughs> Theophilus, wow, 
Um, so he's, that's who he's writing to. And, and what it means, if you didn't know, is friend of God. Um, so we're not 100% sure this is actually a person that Paul is writing to, because he wrote the first book to him as well. But it could be just friends of God, to anyone who's a friend of God. So you could take it that Paul is writing to you today as well. And he begins to say, I've dealt with, in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And so it's that refresh to say, you know, remember that bit, Jesus came, he was, did his teaching and he ascended. Um, the commands he gave through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he had presented himself alive to them about his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so he's doing this recap. He's saying, you know, remember all that Jesus did. He raised up these uh, disciples because Luke wasn't one of those disciples. He wasn't one of the apostles. So he's referring to them and how he presented himself, the miracles he had done. Remember all that Jesus has done. And then after he ascended, he appeared for 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's also reminding them about Jesus' purpose. Jesus always was coming and preaching the kingdom of God. And so, again, just like any again, summary at the beginning of the next episode, you have these little flashbacks um, to previous uh, occurrences. And so Luke does this as well. And what he has a flashback to is um, John the Baptist. And so he says, and this goes back to Luke chapter 3, and verse 16. And this is John the Baptist. If, sorry, if we don't I'll give a bit of context there as well, in case you didn't realize. John the Baptist was a, a relative of Jesus. And he came before Jesus, and he was baptizing people in the River Jordan for the forgiveness of sins, for repentance. He was calling people to repentance. But what he was also doing was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And so in verse 16 of Luke chapter 3, it says, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So again, John's saying, I'm doing this. Um, I've come, I'm going to um, baptize for repentance, but there is one who is coming, who is greater than I. So great, I can't even stoop down and untie his sandals. But what he says well is, I'm doing it with water, but he is going to come and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he was preparing this way. He was kind of uh, churning the ground, preparing the ground, ready for something greater to come, which was Jesus. And it was really, again, John was marked this transition from the old to the new. Now, of John, Jesus said, John was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament time. He was the greatest prophet. He was brilliant. But he said, any child in the new kingdom is greater than John. So John was great. There was some great stuff going on, but I'm going to come and do something new. And if you're part of the new thing, it's greater than anything that was in the old thing. So he's coming to do something new. So John was the transition um, from the old to the new. 
Jesus then talks about this a bit further. We're going to look here in John chapter 16. I do encourage you to bring your scriptures just in case they're not on the, uh, to bring your Bibles. Or if you've got your phones, as long as you're on the Bible app. John chapter 16, verse 7. So Jesus is teaching um, his disciples and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your, your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But, I, but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is talking here about a helper that is going to be sent, which is the Holy Spirit. So again, John said, Jesus is coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, but for the Holy Spirit to come, I need to go. And so he's warning the disciples that's going to happen. And then he goes on, and jump back, got a few jumping here, not many more after this one, into Luke chapter 24. And verse 49, right at the end of Luke. And again, Jesus reminds them, this is after his resurrection. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Spirit, upon you. He says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So if we go back to the book of Acts, in chapter 4, Luke reminds them of this again. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. To wait for the promise of the Father. And so Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit. Here's the promise. I'm going to go. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But what you have to do is wait in Jerusalem for the, for, the Holy, for the Father to send the Holy Spirit. So then we get another little flashback. Flashback number two. If you've got it in your Bibles, we're looking at verse six. This is again in Acts now. Acts 6 to 11. Um, again, it was kind of a weird little passage and I was thinking when I was reading this, I was like, how does this fit? This whole chapter's a bit like this. You're like, how does this fit? Um, it's like when you try and do a transition from one thing to another and it doesn't run too smoothly, and you just wedge some stuff in. But it's all kind of relevant. And I believe what Luke is, is showing here, this is where I've got a word written down. I'm like, I can't read my own handwriting. Um, oh, it's the ascension. That's what it says. Um, <laughs> it's good that it's, uh, it doesn't help if I spell it wrong as well. Um, and so you've got this passage that now sets us up for what's going to come next. And so you've got this passage, and again, it's a bit of this flashback, and they're all together, and the disciples ask this question in verse 6. It says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, if you know anything about the context of this story, that they're in this time where the Israelites and the land of Israel is oppressed by the Roman Empire. They're in capti captive, in a sense, in their own land, they're under the Roman rule. And what the Jews have been praying for, for for centuries is the Messiah to come. Now, Messiah, if you don't know, is a Hebrew word. 
It means anointed one, a chosen one. It's also the same word as the word Christ. So Christ is the Greek word. So if it, you hear these words, Messiah is the same word as Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus Messiah. We're saying Jesus, the anointed chosen one of God. That's what we're saying when we, we say those words. And so they're waiting for this one to be sent by God. And what many of them really hoped for was that this Messiah would come and he would defeat the Romans or defeat the oppressors and reestablish the kingdom of Israel and would sit on the throne and they would be the people of God again just as they had been maybe like in the days of David and Solomon. And that's what they were really praying for. And that's when they looked for this Messiah to come. And so imagine this, that they'd been looking to Jesus and he'd done all these miracles, he'd done these wonderful things, and then he died. He died. And they probably thought, oh man, maybe we got it wrong. But then he rose again. And I thought about it, it's like a scene from Rocky. If you ever watch Rocky, boxing movie, and Rocky's been knocked down and he's bloody and he's on the mat, and he's like, you think he's dead. Then suddenly he twitches and he begins to move and he raises up and then he fights and he wins. And this is maybe what they were thinking. I'm sure they'd watched Rocky before this. Um, they hadn't. Um, but they, that kind of, that idea of, you know, he was dead, he was buried, but he rose again. Surely now he's going to do the thing we wanted. Surely now he's going to come and he's going to kick some but, and he's going to defeat the Romans, and he's going to fulfill the kingdom and restore it all. Surely, now is the time for you to restore the kingdom of Israel. You know, sometimes in the past, we can get the wrong idea. And we see this in scripture where people get the wrong idea about what we need to do. Peter was kind of always quite famous for this, about kind of putting his foot in it. There was a time when Jesus was like, you know what, guys, I'm going to go and die. And Peter was like, Jesus, I think you've got this wrong. A, real, a better idea would be that you don't die and you stay and you do this, this, and this. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, get behind me, Satan. Which I'm sure Peter was like, oh, it's a bit much. Um, but the idea of like, no, Jesus was saying, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose, I'm going to do this thing. And Peter came in with his own ideas, his own like, you know, I think I've got a bit of wisdom here, I've been around for a while. Sometimes in life, our own agenda becomes more important than God's agenda. Sometimes God's saying, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do this. And we go, you know what, Jesus, I've been a Christian for a few years. I've seen how this works out. I think we should do this. Sometimes we have a great idea and we say, you know what, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to help these people. I'm going to do this thing. I think that's a good idea. But the question we really have to ask is, what has God told us to do? What has God told us to do? What had God told them to do? Wait. He said, go into the city and wait. What he didn't say is, get the troops ready, build the army, 
anything else, he said, go and wait. You know, in God, I believe there is a process. This is actually what I spoke on last week. That there's a process that we have to go through. And I remember this story. It's a story of a boy in a chrysalis, you know, where the caterpillar um, goes in and in the transition to become a beautiful butterfly, has to go into the chrysalis. And so this, the caterpillar does that, and the boy's watching the chrysalis over time, and you know you're watching it, you're watching it. What's going to happen? And suddenly, it starts breaking out. <laughs> okay. Trying to make it a bit more dramatic. <laughs> Got to work on that. Uh, and so... <laughs> Could be on the Rocky theme tune, at least. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So the chrysalis, and then it starts to come out, and it starts, I don't know if you've ever seen a video of this, but it starts to struggle, it's starting to push, and the boy's watching it, and he's thinking, oh, it seems to be having a hard time. Maybe I can help it. And so it starts to break the chrysalis around the transitioning butterfly but the trouble is the process that the the caterpillar needs to become a butterfly involves struggle and actually by breaking out the potential butterfly the butterfly actually then dies because it didn't actually struggle in a way that it needed to to become a butterfly and there's a process in our Christian lives that we have to go through in order to, to become who God wants us to be. And sometimes our, our natural inclination is to circumvent that process and think, oh, well, I know what I should do, actually, and I should do this. And we can't wait, but then we go, oh, no, I, I need to hurry up and I need to do that. And God is actually saying, no, no, will you wait? Will you do it in my time? Because the reality is, they needed the Holy Spirit. They were about, and this is where Jesus, uh, Jesus says to them, because he, again, a little rebuke, he says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he's like, that's not what, I told, that's not what I'm talking to you about. I don't know if you've ever done that when you're talking to someone. They, they kind of change the subject and, the, and they, they want to know about something else. You know, no, we're talking about this. Let's focus on this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he does remind them of the, the mandate that he's given them in, if you read it in Matthew 28, go to the, into all the earth and, and baptize and disciple. It's still there. But first, you must receive the power from the Holy Spirit before you do it. You know, sometimes we can move ahead too quick. But the question is, has God said? I think there's a word in this for the church, and I think it's something that God's doing in the wider church as well. But again, the reality is we can go ahead and what we do, we do it in our own strength. And that's what they're doing. They had this mandate. They had this plan. Jesus had told them what was going to happen next. But they were like, okay, let's go do it. And he was like, no, no. 
You need to wait. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the instructions. You need to draw close to me because you cannot do it in your own strength. You have to do it with me. There's a verse, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. And Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me read that again. And when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think this is a key word that God's got for our church. And I want to ask you an honest question. How does that measure up in your own life? How does that measure up in your own life? I think it's such an important word that God wants us to know that he's calling us to this place of intimacy in prayer that is going to be the 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 furnace is going to be the fueling station it's going to be the catalyst for all he wants to do but just like the disciples we can say no 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 i've got a better idea because you know what god i've got a lot to do today so i'm going to crack on and he's like no i told you to come into the quiet place into the secret place and be with me because the reality is, when we negate this thing, what we will often do is then move in our own strength. And I believe what God is saying to us is, come away with me. Come away with me. Come away into this secret place. Because what happens in the secret place? In the secret place, you meet God. It says you... Who's in the secret place? The Father is in the secret place. And he sees you there. He encounters you there in the secret place. In that place, we humble ourselves before him. We, 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 I know I've done quite a bit of teaching in the past few months about Sabbath and rest. And what we're doing, we're saying, God, I acknowledge my need for you and I acknowledge that I can't do this thing myself. And that's not just when it's something we know we can't do ourselves. The real challenge is when you think it's something you can do yourself, you know, that you are equipped for. But you know, like today, you know, I could get up here and preach. You know, I could get up here and, well, at least I can speak for 30 minutes or whatever it might be. But we don't just want someone who gets up and speaks. We want people who get up and speak when it's been refined in the secret place. And that's not just about speaking, it's about how you treat one another. How you are a parent to your children, how you're a husband or wife, how you're a friend, how you're a colleague, how you're a worker, whatever it might be. There's something about that, that when you bring, when you've been in the secret place, you bring God with you into that situation. And I can turn up to work and I can do my job and I can do it pretty well. But how much more 
if I take God with me because of something I've done. I've heard stories about this. Again, this is not my experience, but apparently people can smell people who've been in the secret place. Remember a story of someone walking past in an airport and they went, you're a Christian, aren't you? Because they could smell the fragrance of the throne room of God upon them. Now, I've not experienced that, so maybe it's wookie. I don't know. But there's something that resonates. There's something that changes us in that secret place where we learn from God, we hear from God, we're taught by him, we're refined by him. Our hearts are challenged. We submit ourselves and we become more like him and we know his heart because we've spent time with him. And it's something for me that I know I need to grasp because I've not grasped it. And it's saying, come into this place. It's saying, because we can say we pray. Like I say, I pray. You know, I can be running and I can be praying. I can be driving. I can be praying. You know, I can be doing many things. And I can be praying. I can be in a prayer meeting and I can be praying. But this is not what he's talking about. He's saying, come away with me. Just you and me. I think it was John Wesley's mum. She had 12 kids. Try and come away with God when you've got 12 kids. I think think it's 12. She used to put her apron over her head. And all of them knew, if mum's got her apron over her head, don't bother her. (laughs) Where there's a will, there's a way. And I just feel God is calling us to that place because he's saying, I've got something I need to do through my church. And if they're not... I just keep thinking of it like an oven. If you've not been baked in the oven properly, then you're going to be of no use. There's something there that happens in that place. And he's saying, you need to come into this place, just like they needed in the book of Acts to come into this place to, before they went out, before they did this thing. He's saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. Because then you'll have whatever you need. I do think it's interesting that when in Acts, and it says, and while they were, it says, verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And, they, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, I've got this impression they're just looking up, mouth open, catching flies, because that. Huh? It says, two men stood by him in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why did you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You know, there's a time to wait and there's a time to act. You know, sometimes we can wait too long and they're standing there going, oh, Jesus. He's like, no, move on now. Go to the next bit. Go into Jerusalem, which is what they do. And that's going to the next step. And there's, so it does lead us on to this next passage. And again, it's a bit of a weird passage. And it's about... They go into Jerusalem and they gather. There's about 120 of them. And what they talk about is the elephant that's not in the room. Because there were 12 of them and now there's just 11 of them because Judas Iscariot had gone and killed himself. After betraying Jesus, he was consumed with such guilt that he went and killed himself. 
Now, it's interesting to think he probably didn't have to go and kill himself because I reckon if he had hung around, he would have found grace if he had come to God. Peter denied Jesus three times and he found grace and maybe Judas would have found that as well if he had stuck around. But they found themselves now 11 and thought, what should we do? Let's go and appoint a 12th. Now, it seems maybe like a good idea to you. You know, there were 11, there were 12. He even uses a couple of scriptures in verse 20 from the book of Psalms to kind of, uh, kind of cement this and say, you know, let, us, let another take his office. They're using the scriptures. They're saying, let's get another in. But the question I would ask them is, what has God said? Did God say, go and appoint a twelfth? Or did God say, go to Jerusalem and wait? You know, sometimes, again, it's just an example of how we can get ahead of ourselves with our good ideas, you know, thinking, well, again, I don't really like waiting. I like doing stuff. I like getting organized. I like sorting stuff out. And there's this hole, we need to fill the hole, and clearly God wants us to fill the hole, and we do that. But had God said to do it, or had God said to wait? So they created um, a criteria of who should be selected, and they put forward two people. It says in verse 23, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justus, so he's got three names, and Matthias. Maybe in the end they chose Matthias just because it was easier than having someone with three names. Um, I can't just ruin the ending. Um, but they, they put forward these two men. It says, and they prayed. Have you ever done that in your life where you do a load of stuff and then you go, really should pray about this? Kind of, we can sometimes treat prayer as the thing that seals the deal. When we say, God, come and bless my endeavors, it bless my work, where God's saying, maybe you should have prayed at the beginning. Maybe you should have listened and waited and done what I said. But they didn't, they prayed. He said, Lord, you know the hearts of us all, show which one of us has been chosen. And how did God show this? Again, we might think now, if we pray that prayer, God, show us who you might choose. But how did they do it? It says to take, uh, and so they cast lots. I don't know if they just like had two strings and whoever pulled the short string or the long string. I don't know quite how they did it. But the idea is they cast lots. And this was a very common way of doing things in the Old Testament as a way of discerning the will of God. But I wonder if what it represented was doing things in the old way and not in the new way. I was reminded of a story, I think my brother told me, of a South African pastor. Well, he was applying to become a pastor. There was a job opening and he wanted to become a pastor. So he applied for this job, obviously praying. But then what he decided to do, you know, it's good to hedge your bets and he went to the witch doctor as well to get a blessing, to get a job as a pastor. 
Now, you or I might think, well, that sounds a bit crazy. But, you know, when we've become used to a way of doing something, we can become reliant on that way instead of looking to God for the new way. And maybe it's something that's unbiblical. Maybe it's something that's superstitious. I see that often in the church, that people will bring superstitious beliefs into their faith. Maybe it's just self-reliance. Maybe that was your religion before you became to, to faith because we've all got a, a, a story before our becoming to faith where we learned to deal with the world around us in a way that we hoped would work. And maybe it was to trust somebody, maybe it was to trust yourself or something. But I think Jesus would say, no, I'm bringing you into a new way I'm bringing you into something different and I've told you to wait. Now it's interesting that they then appointed Matthias. We never hear about Matthias again. We never hear about some of the other apostles again so it doesn't necessarily mean anything by that. But it's interesting that there comes later someone into the picture called Paul, or he was called Saul beforehand, who is a, becomes an apostle. And it, for me, it always feels like a bit like the third will, because now we've got 12, and it's like, well, we're kind of 13. And he always seemed a bit on the outside and never really um, kind of connecting with the other 12. Now, I'm not saying that it was God's purpose to appoint Paul as the 12th, but maybe it was, but maybe it wasn't. We don't know. But it's interesting when we... I'm going to jump forward and, and commit the cardinal sin when you're teaching a series and preach someone else's verse from a future passage. But in Acts 13, this is in the church of Antioch, and they're praying. And it says in verse 2, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I think it's interesting. The old way of doing things was to cast lots. But the new way of doing things was to pray, to worship, to fast, and to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and speak. And then obey. Now the problem was, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come because they hadn't yet waited for him. And so maybe all that they were doing, again, I'm saying maybe, we don't know, but maybe all they were doing was their best intention, their best thought, their best plan, but wasn't exactly what God wanted them to do because God was saying, wait, because then I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and then when, when you get the Holy Spirit, you do it differently. You don't do it like you used to do. Because what you've got now is something completely different and it's so much better. You don't have to cast lots because you've got the witness of God in your heart. And he will not just speak to me, but he'll speak to all of us about something. It's going to be different. And so I think this is where Acts chapter 1 leaves us. It's kind of in limbo because of what's to come and that's, you look forward to that next week. I think what it represents to me is that God is saying, Jesus came. 
He did all these things. He died and was resurrected, and that wasn't the end of it. It doesn't mean, therefore, you go, well, that was nice. Let's go back to our own ways. Let's go back to the things we did before, live our lives as we used to live them. You say, no, now is the time for something different. Now is the time for something new. And again, I love talk, preaching about the upside-down kingdom. Where it's like, I'm turning things on their head. The things that you thought couldn't be done can now be done. The thing that you thought was impossible is now possible. It wasn't just for me while I was here. Now I'm making it possible for you. And we see that in the book of Acts because we see them doing these acts very similar to what Jesus did. There's going to be something different. But he says, first of all, you've got to come to me. And I believe this is where we might be right now as a church. You know, John's spoken about, we're on a train. It's been at the station. It's beginning to pull out. Uh, but we don't want to just be like right great we're moving right I've got a plan now where we're going to go we want to go where God is saying to go we want to be praying and waiting on him and I believe that's not just in our corporate gathering it was great having so many people in the room this morning to pray that we were getting to flow out of the room. That's brilliant. Let's be in this room maybe next week if you all come again, maybe more. Because we want to pray, but and that's good. But I believe there's something that needs to take place in the secret place in our own lives first. Because if we come to church and we're reliant on the church to feed us, to encounter God then that's going to run dry because you're going to be, I need my fix, I need my fix, I need my fix. Whereas the reality is you can connect with God at any moment of any day, at any time. God's not like, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm busy at the moment, you know, I'm off the clock. He's like, no, you can call on me whenever you need. And I feel that there's just this work that God is going to do in the secret place. And John talked about the flames. That's where you, you build the flame. That's where it gets hotter. That's where you get stronger in your faith. And that's when you come together. And I know my own life. There's times when I've not really followed God closely. And then you come to church and you're like, yeah, it's all right. You know, it doesn't feel as good. But there's times when I'm, I'm like, basically on fire, you know, because of what I've done in the, pri in the secret place privately and I can come and I can be like this is excellent and maybe everyone else around me is going well, this is all right but because of where I'm at it's it's different and so if we're all doing that it's different and maybe we can spark it in others as well I think the other side of that I think is the the world is crying out for something different and when we look at what is happening in the world around us, I want you to see that what is actually happening is that there's a cry for something different. Because there's a system, there was a, you know, throughout history, there's always been systems in place. And what people do is they react to the system because they go, well, the system's not working. We need something different. <clears throat> you know, whether it's a political system, whether it's 
whatever it might be. But the trouble is, they try something else, but that doesn't work either. And they try something else, and it doesn't work either. You know, it's good for a time, it's good for a season, we, you know, it looks promising, but it doesn't work. And it comes back to what I believe God is saying, come away with me. And that's when you'll find the thing that actually works. Come away, and that's when you find the thing that's going to be different. I believe God's going to take us as we go through this book. I hope it's not just why we go through this book. But we see the things that God has done through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And I pray that we will see that God can do incredible things through his church. And my heart for us is that we have faith to believe that he will do it here. He will do it in us. And that we seek him for that. We don't just sit back and go, is it going to happen? But we seek him for it. We present ourselves before him that we might be used by him. Amen. Shall we worship and praise him? Let's pray. Let's just spend a moment in prayer. Just say, God, will you come and reveal yourself to us?